And we are recording with the one and only Dr. Stephen Hatfield, my friend, on Wednesday, June 7th, 2023 at 2.25 p.m. Eastern Time. In the description, you can find the link to his first book, well, I believe it's your first book, Three Seconds Till Midnight, a prophetic book that... If you were Chinese and were from Wuhan, I would say that it it, it, it would it would imply an investigation. It is a prophetic book about just how unable our society is to handle a pandemic, which came out right before the pandemic. And you sent me a chapter of your new book about what we can do. And primarily, I want to talk about a surge capacity to get it started. But before this, we were just chatting about um about their about the administration and those in the the medical industrial. I guess apex that have been covering their tracks yeah. for the last couple of years. And, uh, I was just on a podcast last week and there are some guys saying, I don't understand how they're still so energetic and focused on censorship and covering their tracks. And it makes me think of the first couple seconds of one of my favorite documentaries on YouTube about NORAD. And it, it goes, what drove men to hollow out a granite mountain? It was yeah. fear and fear is so much stronger than, than than love it's it's fear and that's my logic is they're doing this out of fear and as you said they're doing it out of panic but with that dr hatfield for those that may not know you could you uh please introduce yourself and then we'll jump right on into it um hi i'm steve hatfield i'm a physician uh a medical specialist and uh, a virologist uh postgraduate studies at Oxford in England, uh, National Institutes of Health, which, believe it or not, really is a wonderful institution. It's just the leadership is terrible. And uh, did a National Research Council thing out at Fort Detrick, I think for a couple of years where I worked on the Ebola virus and uh, then went to a defense contractor. and. Uh, was an assistant professor, adjunct assistant professor for about a decade at George Washington University. And then um, got called into the White House in 2020, um, essentially because Dr. Fauci and his people weren't, didn't seem to be doing much of anything. Uh, this was on the 3rd of February of 2020. And uh, I had run into Peter Navarro, who was the president's senior trade advisor. Um, very dynamic individual. He's, we can thank him for all the tariffs on China that were working, yes. by the way. A uh, real dynamic guy. Uh, unusual style of leadership. And just like a lot of us can become totally focused 24 7 and uh, a delightful experience and uh, I call him a friend but it uh, he said what do you think of uh, of what's going on in Wuhan he said are, are, are you worried and it's probably around the second or third of February I said worried I'm outright terrified. I said, this thing is already here. You don't just get one case of something anymore. No. 
that guy was on a plane from a, how long does it take to fly from Taiwan to the United States or Hong Kong to the United States or Wuhan? And uh, it's already here. Yeah. And they're, so he says, well, can you, you think, I, I didn't know who he was. He, he had come down to see, I was on Steve Bannon's show. He said, well, do you think you could come down and uh, see me in my office? And I was, I was supposed to fly back to uh, Puerto Rico. I said, well, uh, yeah, I guess. Where's your office? He said, the White House. <laughs> so I, I didn't show anything. I was yeah. like, I was like, well, how do I get in? He says, well, you just come up to the, find the secret saying they'll, they'll get you to where you need to go. How do you get into the White House without being shot on sight? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I, they just put me to work. And I keep saying, look, uh, I got to get back to uh, Puerto Rico. And uh, do you ever see the um, episode, you know, Green Acres? Do you ever watch that with the guy that's on the farm and he's a, a New York lawyer and he gives them all up? Green Acres is a place. <laughs> I was. This is weird, man. I was just singing that last night. Okay. <laughs> Fall and living is a life. Is a life for me. Yeah. <laughs> Manhattan, just give me that countryside. Bum, 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 bum. That's it. That's weird, man. I was singing that last night for the first time in like 20 years. It was a wonderful. I like the pig that turns on the TV. <laughs> Arnold. Yeah. So he says, uh, so he starts, like, I'm out of there, okay? I don't like the government, to be quite frank. And, uh, you know, I don't want any part of this. And on Green Acres, uh, the, Oliver Wendell Douglas, the farmer, the lawyer farmer, starts doing a little thing about patriotic duty, and you can hear the fife and drums playing in the background. And... We got that lecture. I mean, when you put it that way, how can you walk out of there? Yeah. And you can't. No, it's... And I didn't know, actually, what a desperate situation it was. This I, I'd seen Anthony Fauci around when I was at NIH. And um, at GW, um, I also had an appointment in the Department of Tropical Medicine. And I'd gone to a couple things where he was there. And um, I never had a good feeling about him. Uh, he'd made a lot of mistakes over the years. Uh, most furiously during the um, Ebola pandemic in 2014. Mm -hmm. He got on national TV and said that, oh, well, you know, single pair of gloves, that's enough for Ebola. I mean, my God, man, we don't even do that with hepatitis. 
Mm. It's always double glove. That is the NIH protocol. You wear two gloves in case one has a microscopic hole in it whenever you handle blood, blood products, that type of thing. And, you know, two nurses got infected looking after Thomas Duncan down in Texas because of these totally inadequate uh, biosafety outfits. And, I mean, you're Anthony Fauci. You're, you're head of allergy and infectious diseases at the NIH. You think you could have picked up the phone and phoned Fort Detrick and say, you know, what do we wear for this? You know, you just ad libs. So I, I uh, those two nurses almost died. They made it through. But uh, it, it just permanently soured me on uh, so, boy, it turned into 14-hour days, all of it unpaid. There was no time to, I mean, it was running from day one. The huge problems, every day there was something massive that had to be solved, sometimes on the fly. And we had that Ferguson model totally inaccurate. Ferguson is a physicist out of England. That Oh, yeah, and, that's the guy that did the original. Yeah, he's, yeah. Yeah, if, if he tell you, tells you it's going to rain, um, you know, get your suntan oil. He's it's like, going to be sunny all day. He's not been, he's, he's never like, right. He's like Jim Cramer. <laughs> Jim, Jim, Jim Cramer, like, yeah, September 10th. Yeah. He's like, the two towers are very strong, and it's like, dude. Yeah. So, um, but the, the Ferguson model for COVID-19, I mean, this whole task force that they put together is just running around screaming. Uh, and they were calling for about 2 million deaths over a period of a few months. And of course that would affect the uh, integrity of our cities. You know, cities are a uh, very complicated thing. I think you said in your book, sorry to interrupt, and it's one of the things that always sticks with There's always like a line or two from each book I read that kind of stays with me. Yeah. And yours was um, public health is what makes cities and the civilization possible. Well, yeah. We couldn't live together in large group. We couldn't have large standing armies, Tommy. Oh, yeah. Until we had principles of military hygiene and this type of thing. Yeah. The battles in the last century well, and the century before were essentially, after the disease had come through the camps and done its havoc, the survivors of that are what fought. Oh, yeah. No, that, that book, uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel. Yeah. The majority of history book. is germs. And uh, the one before that by... Uh, forget the name of it, but I mean, it, it was, it was a historian that wrote it, McNeil. Um, and I forget the name, but a brilliant book. And that came out way before Guns, Germs, and Steel. Very, very detailed. And uh, yeah, these are right. So. So the complexity of cities. The complexity of cities. 
That bread just doesn't magically appear on the supermarket shelves. It's a it's the process from field to fork. Nobody knows how it works. It's chaos theory. Yeah. And if you try to control it, like the Soviet Union, everyone dies. You you end up with empty shelves. Yeah. It just somehow magically appears on the on the shelves. But it's a very intricate, interconnected process involving thousands of people. Well, it's the human. Gasoline is even worse. How does it go from the oil field to the refinery to the distribution to the, oh my God. And you start losing workers suddenly from an infectious disease. And it's a domino effect. If you don't have gas, how are you going to get delivery trucks in to deliver the food? How are you going to... Yeah. And for hospitals, it's even more critical. Because if you start seeing all your colleagues dying, um, some of us will still come into work. But that's not what makes a hospital run. When the... Back in the 90s, when the Biological Weapons Improved Response Plan came out, Donna Barbish and her crew, General Barbish, I should call her General Barbish, retired now, had sat down and they looked very carefully like, what are the personnel requirements for a hospital? <laughs> it's, it's not <laughs> nurses and it's not doctors. It's the people that clean the room, that make the meals, that take out the trash. Well, it's it's like... Um, the, these are the critical employees. Well, it's like the support team for Delta Force. It's like oh, for God, every yeah, person, for every yeah. plane, there's 30 engineers. For every guy, there's a, they're tracking their, their contingency plans. Or the ships is the Navy ship. Who's 160th special aviate? Like, for every guy, there's... Oh, the, one, the Night Stalkers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's No, for every guy, there is a, there is a small army behind them. It's the same for a hospital, yeah. which is why Donna Barbish was perfect for this. I think she retired a major general. Jeez. Oh, smart. Um, yeah. So this had all been done. Here's how many you need to handle this number of patients. If you turn like a gymnasium, school gymnasium into a, uh, a uh, treatment center. There's how many cots, there's how many this, there's how many. This was all carefully planned out. And it had been practiced in the 90s and 2000s by these huge uh, simulations. I was part of a couple of them called Top Off. And um, we did one in Denver. And I mean, everybody played. And I was with the CD, I was with the local community folks. And we'd gone out to the airfield and the CDC had flown a pushback. There was nothing in it, it was cardboard boxes taped together. But that was simulating the massive influx suddenly from the national stockpile uh, to a designated uh, location. And there's these dear old ladies and I'm standing there and all these boxes come rolling off of this plane and she they're going like oh dear me i th 
I think we need some trucks. Nobody had a, you see what I mean? So all these things, you know, you rehearse these things and the plan gets more and more detailed, which is like the square root of wonderful. Yeah, it's more and more and points of failure. All that stuff went away. Obama got rid of a lot of it. We used to have a team that would fly over. The, the army had a team that would fly over anywhere, anywhere in the world, jungle, Antarctica, whatever, and collect like somebody suffering from something like Ebola or we don't know what it was, stick them in an isolator. Intensive care nurses were on the team and they would, I mean, you could be, you could be raging sick inside this bubble stretcher and, uh, you know, nothing's getting out of it and fly them using military airlift straight to Fort Dietrich where the bubble thing fit to the side of the building. Oh shit. And you got pulled into a biosafety level three intensive care unit. And the doctors from Walter Reed, the head guys like anesthesiology, intensive care, internal meta, they all went through, learned how to put on the blue suits at the time, the, the isolation suits, yeah, the... the chemturians and hook into the airlines and go through and nurse you under BSL three conditions. And Obama got rid of sequestrations, and they just got rid of it. And that was, uh, you know, five, ten years later, now you need it. So the problem is, you don't need these things for years. But when you need it, you need it tomorrow. Well, I've had the same fire extinguisher in this studio for three years. Yeah. Never needed it. It's fucking ready to go. Yeah. So sustainment, anything you do has to be sustained. So what programs have we had that were sustained for years? Oh, I know. The old civil defense program. I grew up in a little farming community of 18,000 in central Illinois. Uh, it's still 18,000 people. It doesn't change. Yeah. And uh, we had a local civil defense. And I was always interested in science. And, uh, you know, I'd come down and hang around the guy that was like in there and had all these books on radiation. And, and yeah, okay, yeah, take it home. And I was reading all this stuff in like the sixth grade and knew what a dosimeter was uh -huh. and how to, you know, Geiger can, you know, and what a rad was. And Ducking cover. it was fascinating. But they had a local volunteer thing. And we had one really strong stone building in town. And that was the post office. And that's where they put all the like, it had a civil defense rondel mm -hmm. on the side, and that's CD, and that's where you went if Chicago got taken out with a thermonuclear weapon and all the fallout was falling on this little town. And it had crackers yep. and barrels of water sealed forever. No, I've, I've read a lot about civil defense. Yeah, there's like the minimum calories a day so your muscle doesn't break down. It's like hard yeah. candy and crackers. and Yeah, yeah. but 
this handful of guys had their volunteers and they would meet. And I never went to a meeting. I don't know if it was like Al Bundy and Married with Children and the meeting of No Ma'am. If you've not seen that, it's hilarious. Uh, yeah. You know, it's the good old boys getting together. But they did meet and they did maintain the equipment and they did have classes. Anybody could come. And they did have a volunteer force that was actually uh, confident enough to go into a radiation environment and time themselves and this type of thing. And there's no reason why something like that couldn't be brought back. Because in a pandemic, as we've seen, I mean, the federal government, what did they do? They made everything worse. Fauci and his crew. Dr. Burke still doesn't think hydroxychloroquine works. 375 studies, half a million patients, 60 to 80% reduced mortality. She writes a book like a year or so ago, and she says, well, you know, hydroxychloroquine didn't work. This is what we've had to put up with. And you wonder why it's a dysfunctional response. Over, it's not... This is over several presidential administrations, okay? You can't blame it all on Biden. Sure. He, he's not, you can't blame it on President Trump. No. He's not a doctor. You bring these people in, they're supposed to be the best in the world, and they're lunatics. And the response is, is lunatic. It's not the president's fault. Well, you got to look at any organization who rises to the top, and it's not always the smartest. It's normally the most ruthless or the biggest ass kissers. You're the president. President Tommy, I don't know. I have a biology degree. They come in and tell me about a new economic plan. Okay, I hope. <laughs> I hope it works. I don't know who it is, you know? Exactly. You, you can't know everything about everything. Yeah. So he brought in what was supposed to, President Trump brought in what was supposed to be the top. Uh, Burks came in because she was, fr you know, when they call in a coordinator, like they did with uh, with the Ebola thing, we couldn't even handle the 11 patients here without huge drama. After spending 70 to $80 billion over the previous two decades, you can't handle the 11 Ebola patients without drama. So they bring in some guy that absolutely knows nothing about it, and he's now the coordinator. So whenever you bring in a coordinator, this is a good indication that nobody knows what they're doing. But it looks good on mm. TV. Mm. Oh, they brought in a coordinator. Oh, yeah, they're serious. And uh, Dr. Burks got the job because she was friends with uh, one of the National Security Council top people with his wife. So they brought her in. And she's a lunatic. That's why you had lockdowns, no pandemic plan. What was and what had been tried even going as far back as 1918 was a brief lockdown, nothing more than a few weeks, just so everyone could get their act together. And you'd close the bars and the restaurants and the large public gathering places. And uh, um, yeah. But for months, no, that was the only plan that was part of was 
Chairman Xi Jinping. Yeah, in communist China, in a totalitarian government, they can weld you inside your house. There's not much you can do about it. No. But this is the United States. If you're going to do a lockdown, it means a lockdown. You don't leave your house. And there's no way you could have achieved anything like that here. I was taking an Uber in. The Ubers were still running this entire time, by the way. So I'd take an Uber in to the White House early morning. It's still dark out. And uh, we're talking to the Uber driver. And he's tired. He's been running people to like home parties and everything all night long. People are still revving. They don't have to go to work the next day. Yeah. So this was in no way could be considered a lockdown. It's not going to do anything, nor did it do anything. You get a temporary drop, flatten the curve, yeah. But the, tell me, you remember when your algebra, your calculus teacher told you one day this will save your life. So here's without a lockdown. You get this huge peak, and then it comes down, herd immunity or seasonality. If you calculate the area under that thing, and now you compare it to flatten the curve. You know, the area is about the same. You still have the same number of infections under there. Yeah. It's just been drug out longer so you don't overload your facilities. Yeah. It doesn't do anything to stop a pandemic. Yeah. So let's see. First thing Fauci does, let's get randomized clinical drug, drug trials going for... Uh, Remdesivir, That's, that'll save us. Well, treating patients once they're in hospital doesn't stop a pandemic, does it? No. You have to treat it in the community. And the CDC itself were the ones that discovered chloroquine and, and by, by default, hydroxychloroquine. They found that when they were looking for a treatment for the SARS virus. And uh, it was a common drug, FDA certified already, chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine, pregnant women can take it. What drug do we let a pregnant woman take in medicine? Like the square root of zero. Yeah, Gatorade. Right? <laughs> yeah, nothing. Yeah. Vitamins. Yeah. Sleep. Let nursing mothers take it. I have these drugs up here in breast milk. So we're very careful what we let them have. Yeah. And this drug, it was like aspirin was more dangerous on the uh, FDA's list of drugs. Aspirin was more dangerous than hydroxychloroquine. You buy it over the counter in most places in the world. It's an anti-malarial. I've been on it, I don't know. For, I was in Africa a long time. We went to Daraprim eventually, but uh, we were initially in the 70s. Take your chloroquine. And um, it was working. If you give it early in the first, from time of symptom onset to about day seven, uh, you still get sick, but you don't go to hospital. Mm. You don't become short of breath. Because once you become short of breath, you enter phase two of the disease. Yeah, and then there's no. This is where you end up on a ventilator, and at the time it was a 70, 80 percent mortality. 
Jesus. So we got better at it. And we doctors fairly quickly realized that uh, you were clotting out your small blood vessels. The alveoli. And the protein that was doing that of the virus is the same one that was put into the vaccines. Nobody bothered to check to see if this protein that's so immunogenic at making an immune response was actually toxic or not. And that's the damn thing they coded for with the messenger RNA that went into the vaccines. So now your own body can make a toxic protein. And then they found out, oh, it's not disappearing. You're making this for like months. Mm -hmm. And you wonder why the deaths didn't start in 2020. There was no increase in all-cause mortality in the United States in 2020. The sad fact of the matter was the people that died, sadly, um, were generally the people that were going to die that year anyway. Yeah. This just pushed them over the top. Yeah. It was 2021 when the mass vaccination with these toxic things came out. These I don't call them vaccines, pseudo-vaccines, messenger pseudo-vaccines. Whoa, the actuaries, the people that figure out how much to charge you for life insurance, they were the ones to notice it, yeah. and it just skyrocketed. I know it was all due to the vaccines. I mean, Ed Dowd's covered it. Yeah, I've had him on here and talked about all-cause mortality through the, and every measurable uh, data point. Yeah. It's through the roof. So right now, our pandemic preparedness is the square root of zero. I wouldn't take a messenger RNA vaccine if somebody offered it to me. I didn't. Me neither. And um, I've caught it about five times. I've caught every damn thing that came along. And you take three hydroxychloroquine, it's better the next day. Um, we learned a big lesson here. When we found that chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine and a slew of other drugs, ivermectin, azithromycin, which mm, broadly it's a macrolide, but it's kind of related to ivermectin. And even it had some antiviral property. So there's four things we need to do urgently. And we should have started a long time ago. We have about 20,000 compounds that have been approved by the FDA as being safe for all sorts of things. Um, off-label use off-label use you know Rogaine the, you know people put, they hope their hair grow back you know that started out as a blood pressure medication didn't fight wasn't Viagra also a blood pressure medication like a, <laughs> yeah. a nitrate or something yeah and people were responded on the nitrate the oxide yeah they responded yeah. on the questionnaires they're like my blood pressure is the same but I'm I'm rock hard for the first time <laughs> Some people doing the test were like, hey, hold the phone. <laughs> I think we're rich. Yeah. Yeah. They were. Yeah. 
So we've got about 20,000 compounds. We need a directed, massive research program to screen these for antiviral activity against the, um, I think it's 26 viral families that have members that are pathogenic for man. When you boil it all down, really there's only about four viral families that we're really worried about, but we need a directed. Now you're talking thousands of cell cultures, millions of cell cultures. You're talking little robots coming out and doing things on the big table, automate it. Mm -hmm. And hundreds and hundreds of man hours to read these things and conduct uh, plate assays. But we need to go through these 20,000 compounds for every viral family, its most representative lethal one, individual virus, and we need to re-expand our viral arsenal, antiviral arsenal. And there's no reason this, sh and for the ones that we don't find one, fair enough. There's some targets for the farm, big pharma to, to go after and, and develop some drugs for this. Mm -hmm. um, what's one of something, Tommy? If you have just one of something. It's one? A sample? Yeah, it's, it's a square root of nothing. Yeah. What if you have two of something? One is none and two is one. So you have one, yeah. which is nothing. See? Yeah. <laughs> and it's the same with antivirals, too. These RNA viruses, which are our biggest worry. Uh -huh. Things like influenza, Ebola, COVID-19 virus. These things mutate constantly. It's part of their survival advantage their fitness yeah so let's grab a COVID-19 patient and uh let's take all the viruses out of him you know the COVID-19 and let's grow it out and let's sequence it you'll find little differences in these because that virus is looking for something that'll give it an advantage over all of the daughter viruses around it and if you put people on just one antiviral drug, and we've seen this with Tamiflu and influenza and, and a bunch of others, one drug, this thing's going to find a way around it. Tuberculosis. The antibody, it's a bacterial disease of the lungs. We're very worried about this now because of the southern border. Hmm. And again, we're not doing the right thing down there. And if you put somebody on just one drug, when streptomycin came out, it was an antibody. The postgraduate guy found it down the throat of a chicken. That's what he isolated it from, believe it or not. And his boss was a real bastard. And he got the, the boss got the Nobel Prize and the grad student did all the work. Now, where in the world of fairness is that? Nobel Prize doesn't mean shit. Not anymore. Not the Peace Prize anyway. No, you can get it. They give it to. I was about to say, you get it, and then you, and then you, you get it, and the next day you you bomb a hospital, Doctors Without Borders, 
And it's like, could does the universe or God has a sense of humor? It's a dark one. You give but, it to Al Gore when he's when he leaves the massage parlor after his happy ending. Yeah, come on. I mean, I should get it, right? The great men that and women that have had it before. Albert Schweitzer has always been somewhat of my hero. And he wrote books for the next generation. And he was a medical missionary and concert organist, concert level, the big pipe organs. And he could fix them. He could repair them. That was his hobby. Yeah. And he went to medical school and went to Africa and just, you know, the spirit of giving and uh, Lambre and the, the Mission Hospital. And it's a wonderful series of stories. And a philosopher with a policy of reverence for life. Mm. Kind of like the Buddhist, yeah. you know. Um, I go along with it until the armadillo comes in and starts digging up the garden. In Buddhism? So, no, uh, reverence for life. Oh, I was like, is there a... I was like, is there no, a don't kill any. Don't oh, yeah, kill no, any. no, no, shoot that thing. Who gives a shit? No, I chase it around with a shovel yeah, and a house off. robe slightly ajar with my fuzzy bunny slippers. Yeah, no, you, no you, you're, yeah, reverence for life until you're... Last week, I was, I was out on my parents' pontoon boat. I was just sitting in the back cushiony chair looking at the mountains. Yeah. You're so at peace. And then I saw a spider next to me and i realized it was on the Heck. boat it was on the boat and i was on the boat one of us had to go and i'm still yeah. here yeah, yeah. <laughs> reverence for life with limits to a point to a point yeah so um nobel prize throat yeah so throat. we should have had this up and running and another example there's a thing called cytomegalovirus it's really, we've all been exposed to it at some point or other. And this is a virus that likes the weak, you know, people with weak immune systems. And it's a DNA virus. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a problem on the transplant wards, the organ transplant wards. And the, a little bit ago, they found out a common... Um, diuretic, like we give for high blood pressure, mm -hmm. spirolactone, does the same thing as chloroquine does in tissue culture for COVID-19. Really? Yeah, virus. It's sitting there all the time. So now we're ready for clinical trials. Somebody needs to start them. So this is the type of thing we're looking for. Off-label use. 20,000 compounds to go through. Let's build up our antiviral drug arsenal. You know, it's a good example. What? Is, so I'm using a Sony 4K camera. Yeah. My, my iMac is right here. And for the last yeah. hundred or so episodes, I've been looking at the iMac and the guest was looking at me from here and it was throwing people off. So I decided I needed to put a monitor behind my camera and put it yeah. on the stand, which is what I'm doing yeah. now. I yeah. searched for a month. I found the monitor, I found the stand, I spent like a thousand bucks, got it all, assembled it all, it didn't fit, and then I realized I had a monitor in my closet and I had a stool at my table. I put the stool behind the camera and put the thing on it, worked like that. Off, off, 
off-label use, was in my closet, could have cost me nothing. Instead, I got the very expensive, very complicated new toy, and it didn't work at all. This is what happened, Tommy. This is exactly what happened. Yeah. And Fauci started his randomized controlled clinical trials. These things take weeks, months to get results. They're very subject to bias, believe it or not, although they're supposed to be non-biased. Um, only about 14% of the infectious disease drug protocols by the American Society of Infectious Disease are based on randomized clinical trials because for one reason or another, they tend to underestimate a drug's worth. So Fauci's defending his turf. He's going to get these randomized clinical trials done for remdesivir. Um, it's not going to, it's good for the hospital patients, maybe, but it's not going to stop the pandemic or stop people coming into hospital. And then we find out, well, there's a little study published and everyone's quiet about it. If you're taking hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine, it inactivates the remdesivir. So we're spending, and I mean, it's U.S. government spending billions. Fauci, we didn't, we didn't even know how to make this. So Pete Navarro gets like some of the top pharmaceutical guys and they figure out actually how we make it. It's about eight steps and um, how we make it here. And we're having a fight with China because they say we're going to make it off license. And we're saying, no, you won't. And they say, well, we'll do what the hell we want. There's a big fight going on. Nobody knows about. And um, so, yeah, the remdesivir trials start. And um, it doesn't show any effect on mortality. Okay? The drug doesn't stop you from dying. Mm. Because it's an IV drug, it has to be given early before you get to hospital. At the point of maximum viral replication during those first seven days. Once, you, once this second phase of tissue damage occurs, uh, there's nothing going to help you. It's septic shock. Mortality for that hasn't changed in, since it was recognized in the 70s, I think. So we're just sitting aghast. And uh, Pete Navarro is very impressive um, guy. And he's wanting hydroxychloroquine. And Bob Catholic was the head of ASPR uh, at the time. It's an HHS organization for pandemic preparedness. So he and Bob Catholic get together and they, the, everybody agrees. This is like, uh, um, we found an indication that suddenly the Chinese were making ton quantities of chloroquine. And that led to finding the CDC paper on it. And um, so it, this was all given to Pete Navarro. So you mean ton, you mean literally in 2,000 pound increments? Yeah. <laughs> now, why are you going to do this if you're not going to give something to your whole population? Yeah. yeah. So, and then the paper was, 
It was done by CDC scientists, but it was buried in the literature back in what, 2003, I think it was. So once you convince Peter of something, and Bob Catholic was on board, and uh, Fauci wouldn't have anything to do with it. No, these are, and we're seeing evidence out of France, Algeria, from Dieter Raoul, the French doctor. And they're keeping their pandemic. France, they're keeping, they're keeping their, people are coming in, they're getting it, early shortness of breath. And, um, man, it's working. And then uh, Dr. Zelenko, he's passed away now, mm-hmm. started using it on his patients in New York. And he's keeping them out of the hospital. He wasn't a researcher. He passed away, unfortunately. But um, he wasn't a research scientist, and he wasn't, you know, he's keeping raw data, but, you know, and it was a randomized clinical trial that only Fauci will accept. And he's calling it, this is anecdotal information. Well, no, it's not. These studies in France are getting larger and larger. South Korea is using it. We all predicted apocalypse for South Korea. And they got their thing under control in like two weeks. Um, they had some really strict social distancing measures. And were monitoring people on the cell phone and this type of thing. Irrespective, um, the early drug treatment, and if you're infected, we go look at your family. The whole the whole family gets treated, and you stay at home until it's only a five day course. You can take almost anything for five days. You can even eat McDonald's hamburgers for five days. It's not going to hurt you. I've done it. Yeah, we all have. I love to again. So. This is the this is the thing, and um, I wasn't there, but uh, Peter had a fight with Fauci over this, and um, I think it got to the point of a yelling match. I'm not sure, but knowing Peter, mm. could have. And uh, paper. Before he went off to this meeting, he asked me to, you know, give, give me the stack of all the latest stuff. And we, it was already assembled. Here you go. And he had it all to give to him. And I guess he flung it at him and started yelling, this is science, this is not anecdotal information, blah, 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 blah. raising hell. And the guy chairing the meeting thought, oh, whoa, hang on, Peter. Okay, you can have your hydroxychloroquine. Well, everybody's starting to hoard it overseas. Indians are starting to use them. It's 1.2 billion people. Mm-hmm. Chinese are manufacturing, and these are where our drugs make. We don't even make penicillin in the United States anymore. No. So you better get all well, the getting is good for people actually understand what's happening over there. And uh, somehow, I don't ask questions. Yeah. But like really very quickly, we had 62 million doses and it got put into the national stockpile. I mean, it, to me, it was like overnight. Like, what? Yeah. How'd they? All right. These are, I don't ask. Don't ask. Yeah. 
And we had APIs, uh, 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 the pharmaceutical precursors. A little company down in Florida was knocking it into pills. And, uh, dude, I mean, I'm watching all this, and it's it, all I could think of it was like World War II mm. when we were turning out one Liberty ship a week or something a day. Building a P 51 Mustang every 61 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was, this was the feeling. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And it's infectious. Sure. There were only six in our office. And, uh, I mean, everybody's, I mean, you're just going home to eat. Yeah. Shower and, you know, you're getting back to work. And, um, it was really a wonderful feeling. And my younger colleagues... Oh, man, I was so proud of them. I mean, wow. I had to run to keep up with them. They're so smart hmm. and dedicated and patriotic and the whole bit. You saw the companies. We had no PPE. We don't make it here. There was one place that was making N95 masks. The, the, the usual stuff, it's just eye candy. It didn't work that well. But layered interventions, yeah, you try this, it doesn't really work well, and then you do this, so it didn't really work well. And you hope all together, all these little things that don't really work well will work well. That was the logic behind it. And uh, our Fortune 500 companies, Peter got on the phone, he knows a lot of them. And uh, somehow he got them into... Uh, Donate because you use mass in a lot of areas industry grinding building whatever and he got them to donate millions of items I mean millions of items and uh, Gina Miller got tasked with we shipped it directly from the donation directly to the hospital Wow so we're trying to keep up on the hospitals you know, who's running out. And we're not getting this data from the task force. We're getting like county estimates and this type of thing. I need to know how the hospitals are doing. Oh, I've got a phone and I don't pay the phone bill. Yeah. Beep. Yes, Dr. Adfield, put me through to the uh, intensive care unit, please. And the first time I did it, this is the white hat click. <laughs> like, I'm a quack. Joanna, will you teach me how to do this so they don't hang up on me? And, you know, she's smooth. Yeah. Hi, this is Joanna Miller. I'm actually phoning from the White House, believe it. And, you know, I said, okay. All right. I, Bed, let me try it. Again. Bedside manner. Yeah. Uh huh. And it worked. Okay. And I'm phoning these people like every other day. I've got a whole list. And we know where this is going to get hit first. Because in every pandemic, it's the poor, low-resource, high-density, slum, for another word, communities. Sure. Every, every pandemic disproportionately affects these communities. They got a large number of children. The children play together. Mm. You got a lot of comorbidities. 
smoking, drinking, drugs, blah, 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 blah. Multi-generations. And, Multi, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. High blood pressure. Um, obesity. So I've got a list of hospitals in our 120 largest cities that are doing these areas, and I'm phoning. And um, after a while, you, you kind of know. I'm trying to phone at the same time, so like, you get to know who's on the shift. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they're down to their last mask change. Jeez. And tomorrow they're out. And I'm getting phone calls back. And the nurse is like in tears because she was coming to work anyway. Mm. And in come these boxes of goggles and masks and gloves and and she's in tears. Jeez. Because my friend was head of ICU at a hospital. Uh, Paul is a, a, a great hero, patriot. Well, he helped with a lot of the spec ops training over the previous 10 years. You know, combat medicine and this and that and field stuff and like Green Beret level medic mm -hmm. stuff. And um, Paul had run out of everything and he was going in there anyway. That's the bravery and the dedication of some of the doctors in this country. He's going in anyway. And um, the problem was solved and not one of his people or himself became infected. Wow. And this was in Washington, D.C. Wow. And the problem was solved very quickly. And um, if you had doctors starting to die in the nation's capital, in the ICUs, what do you think anyone else is going to do? The nurses don't want to bring it home to their family. So dedicated or not, some of them aren't going to come to work. Uh, the hospital I was referring to had to open up an entire other wing just for ventilator patients. But they were prepared. They had the ventilators. They had the staff. They put the students to work under supervision. Yeah. They solved it. But not everywhere was like that. So these were the things, and it's all happening like thousands are getting infected a day. And this pressure went on and on and on. And uh, it's very interesting um, work environment. But this whole thing was able to save literally thousands of people. And um, <laughs> then instead of HHS being in charge of the pandemic response, they gave it to FEMA. FEMA can't even find the car keys in the morning. Good Lord. Okay. 
No, serious. I'm, I'm, I'm know, not. Kidding. I know. They 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 really showed their colors. And on the whole thing, the, the whole thing came to a grinding halt. They 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 couldn't handle the uh, logistics, and they're not geared up to handle something that goes on for weeks. They come in after a hurricane, sort it out. You know, they do very good with you know funding and restitution, getting the community sure. back. They do good. That's what they do. But none of them are trained to operate in a pandemic, and they started getting sick. And um, we had one of the guys, Garrett, delightful young man, and a smart, sharp dresser in his, you know, mid-20s. I mean, just like, looked like he belonged in the White House. Dark yeah. suit, yeah. just impeccable. Yeah. Sharp as a whip. And Peter sent him down to FEMA, right? I was uh, unaware that this was, I didn't find out till like last year FEMA had taken over. And I, I watching them over the years, I, I never had high hopes for them doing anything. Um, take Louisiana and the flooding from Katrina, okay? Mm -hmm. They had a good plan, but the local authorities messed it up. So the whole plan, Domino, fell to pieces. And this is like kind of what happened here. They, they didn't know logistics. So Peter had Garrett down there daily. And finally, everyone's getting sick around him because they're all crowded together and they're on top of each other. And gather around for a meeting on this corner of the room. It's like the definition of chaos. Yeah. And uh, it's to the point where he is, he's scared. I walk in the office and, you know, he looks worried and he's like kind of looking down ashamed and like he's not going back there. <laughs> so Peter looks up and like, all right, you and Joanna go down there. And I brought the car in and parked it on the ellipse. So we can't wait to go down and see this stuff. And we get down there. And they're running around. They've had another infection. And, uh, oh, God. So they, this room of opportunity, I didn't even have, like, chairs out. So we're ushered in there to wait. And they come down and escort us up. We're going down this hallway. And here's this big, huge room full of all these people running around in ever-diminishing circles. And I look over in the corner, and here's some really serious-looking dudes in multicam. And it's the Defense Logistics Boys. Oh. Now, who are the world's expert in logistics at getting stuff from point A to point yeah. B? The Whether boys. it's an MRE or a tank. Yeah. These are the dude, pros from Dover at this. Yeah. There's three of them. They're senior enlisted, which makes it even more impressive because they know the nuts and bolts of it. And if anyone's going to, I'm going to go sit over with them. And I just, I don't ask questions or anything. And uh, they're just bewildered. And it oh, behind them is all these little groups. and There's yelling and, and finally they come get us. And we get crammed into this little round room. And... Uh, Joanna's taking notes, and I'm just sitting there. And the one guy brings out, 
He's so excited, and he brings out this little packet of the latest, like, FEMA breakthrough in pandemic preparedness. And every household on the planet's going to get one of these in America. And it's five cloth washable masks that you can reuse. And here's a packet for you, and here's a, and Joanna and I are are looking at you know that emoji with the big round eyes like yeah. surprise. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's exactly what the it's fuck? like. Yeah, what the? <laughs> the fuck is this? We can't believe the most powerful nation on earth. We got hydroxychloroquine, blah blah blah. We got this, we got that. We're fighting this, fighting that. Here's a band aid. Where's the healthcare teams going into the communities? Where's the this? Where's the that? I mean, it's all, it's all been planned out. I and you know, I understood why Garrett didn't want to come yeah, back. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> Good lord. You know, serious, Tony. It, it was like, you know. I came close to having a gin martini. I really did. I don't know how you didn't. I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't have anything because you never know when they're going to phone you or that's need true. something. Yeah, that's true. Peter phone whenever we needed to. Yeah. So no. Uh -uh. Yeah. So um, sure would have helped though. I, I, I know. I, and I've got my own responsibilities because my job is to keep up with everything that's going on. And these papers are coming out left and right. The medical researcher, I can't do it myself. So I've got a small number of really close friends. Um, one runs a like SMS alert thing. Mm -hmm. Like it's really good service. I think it's like alerts USA. And like your phone will go off and there'll be like some finding that's uh, important, mm -hmm. you know, like you need to know if you live in this area. So shootings or airport closures or tidal waves or earthquakes or whatever. And uh, they bring out a weekly newsletter as well. So he's got this command center. It's I, He won't show it to me. He won't send me a picture because, I mean, but it looks like the Battlestar Galactica, you know? Lord. Yeah. Looks like NORAD. Yeah. And this one's going off and it shows exactly where the earthquake. Yeah, yeah it is. And somehow it, he like is linked into this. He does uh, that. That's how he started with uh, virtual reality. Okay. And all the science that went into like the F-35 mm -hmm. helmet. Yeah. Is he wrote the first textbook for this. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. He's gifted. So he's helping. And Doctors for Disaster Preparedness are helping Jane Orient and her crowd. And literally every paper ever written, I've gone through. Because they're sending it to me. And I'm following this. But that's just like, so I go home, have something to eat, read through that, get three or four hours, five hours sleep back in and uh, back to work.
and I wore out a suit. I think, you know? And it went on for days, it went on that way. And, um, watching the destruction of hydroxychloroquine. Well, I, 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 I couldn't understand this until probably around December of 2020. And uh, it all became clear. And Pete McCulley, Harvey Reich, you know, we're all, they helped a great deal and gave us like the strength in, to believe that, yeah, we're, we're not imagining this. This is actually the way it is. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. We, so anyway, that's what it was like to mm-hmm. work there during this mess. So back to pandemic preparedness. It's past time we went over these 20,000 compounds and test them against representatives from every, I think it's 26 viral families that cause human disease. Can't remember. Which is bad because I'm a virologist. But this should have started years ago. Hmm. But it's time now. We have to, giving one drug for an RNA virus, it's going to mutate out of it. Okay? Yeah. Like tuberculosis, we need to give combination therapy. So I can give three antivirals. Like, what do we do with HIV? You take a number of different mm-hmm. antivirals. It doesn't mutate out of it. Yeah. Because you're ahead of the evolution curve of the yeah. these quasi-species. You know, you pull, I think the record's 27 different uh, subtypes from one HIV patient. That thing goes crazy yeah uh, covid not as bad but every six weeks or so you're going to see a new sort of thing trying to become dominant strain which is why we keep having these variants so um and of course when it mutates that way it's going to mutate out of the vaccine mm. vaccine is no longer going to be effective well, this is exactly what we saw, and it was exactly predicted because you're unlike natural immunity that looks at all the different proteins of the virus, the vaccine forced you to look at only one. Yeah. And it was the one protein that was very hypermutable. It was designed to have lots of mutations to escape the immune system. So I don't know how stupid you are, but I have had a firsthand experience watching this. Well, if you're trying to make a lot of money, you want to get the one that is not a... Well, I was brilliant for that. Yeah, you don't want to hit something with a high conservation rate. You want something that's changing. You really, you really need to get Chris Farrell on from Judicial Watch. The stuff they've uncovered. Or America's First, uh, America first Legal. Get me... Uh, get yeah, me. I, I can give you a couple of names there. The gal is really sharp. She's great. And she's well-spoken. And she did a lot of the dog work for this. Mm. But the stuff that went on behind the scenes, the CDC, once a very credible institution, turned into protect the vaccines at all costs. And all these studies, they would publish how great this vaccine is and how effective. 
when you sit down and pick it apart, it's rubbish science. It's garbage. Of course, they publish a uh, Morbidity and Mortality Weekly, which is their own publication. Oh, it's CDC. We'll quote that. And everybody thinks that's the way it went. The vaccines didn't work. They didn't work. They didn't work in the original clinical trials. And this is what um, um, Chris Farrell got a hold of. And a lot of this redacted. Why are you redacting communications between Francis Collins and, you know, Janet Woodcock at the FDA? This isn't top secret missiles. Mm. Okay. Why are you redacting this? Because criminality. Yeah. So um, you can run, but you can't hide. And what these two organ of the Judicial Watch in America's first legal found, it's just the CDC was putting out this rubbish garbage on how effective and take it. We knew that children weren't at risk. Virtually the children that have died from COVID um, have had very serious, like leukemia stuff. I mean, really, really serious, tragic things wrong with sure. them. Most kids, you get sniffles for a day or they don't even know they have it. They don't pass it to other children. They don't pass it to adults. I can give you personal examples from families I know. And uh, they have a temperature for a day and they're crabby. That's about it. Mm. And um, they don't have the same density of ACE2 receptors in their upper airway. So they get the virus. There's nothing for it to bind to. And if it does bind, there's not a lot of cells that have this receptor that they can invent. So their viral load is very minimal. And after about five days, their own immune system kicks in and they get a natural uh, prolonged immunity. It looks like it goes on for a couple of years, which, again, the CDC wouldn't admit. Yeah. We now have the data. They have to admit it. And you've responded to different proteins of the virus. So if spike protein mutates out, you've still got a clone of lymphocytes that will respond to the M protein. Yeah. Not as well, but you've got a defense. You're probably you're gonna probably gonna get this under control and not have to go to hospital. So that's how that works. And um, the clinical trials that were done, both by Moderna and Pfizer, a lot of that was it didn't show anything. It showed no human should have been given this yeah. vaccine essentially to sum it all up. Yeah. Now we're seeing things like uh, prion protein amyloid deposition in the brain. Mad cow. Like mad cow. No, it's happening. Oh my God. It's happening in the mice models. I, we don't know the long-term effects of this. Come on. And this all could have been over within 2020. Aggressive outpatient treatment, home visitation teams for the disadvantaged areas, set up your pop-up tents, set the clinic right down there. Use a local building for your treatment center. 
Well, families can come, but you know, you're going to talk, you're going to, it'll be a glassed off area. You can see your loved one. You can bring them food. This isn't Gestapo. We're not, no. Instead, oh, well, you know, we get so much money for every patient we have in hospital with COVID. So no, no, no family allowed. And the loved one dies alone. How many cases has this occurred? The damn doctor won't even come in the room. So we kind of go into this in the book and we kind of show the other couple things that must be done. And um, one of the things that could be solved really easily and quickly. We, uh, we need a sort of national health facility monitoring system. Wouldn't it be lovely? You've seen the NORAD control rooms, the big wall screen thing. Wouldn't it be lovely to come in, hit one key, and um, you're worried about this one area. And the display shows every hospital, its capacity, its mm -hmm. ICU capacity, general bed capacity, and how full the ICU and general beds are. Yeah. And if I press another button, it shows me a graph of how the hospital's filling. Yeah. And the slope of the line is telling me, whoa, we better yeah. get some extra stuff down from the national stockpile to that yeah, area. Put a timer on it, then this many hours, this one will be full. Yeah. You see what I mean? Turn a knob. This one's full yeah. strep throat. This one's got shooting victims. But, and I don't need to, I don't want to know personal information except I need to know age. Yeah. Sex. Yeah. But what is it? You know, and I'd, it'd be nice if I had some geographic data be nice to have a home address so the computer could plot it. If I start seeing a cluster in this part of town, damn, that's where my home visitation teams go. Hmm. We've needed this for years, but different hospitals use different softwares. We have a thing called JCO, it's a joint accreditation system, and they can shut a hospital down. If you lose your JCO accreditation, this is not good news. Yeah. And the federal government will stop your subsidies. We can mandate this. Yeah. That you put this system into your computer. And it would be lovely if it was automated. But hell, I'll settle for a daily entry, manual entry. Yeah. And a standardized form you fill in at the end of every day. Yeah. So during the night, I can get stuff to you. But you can use this to, as surveillance, too. I'm, the computer, you know, these algorithms are getting better and better. And the computer itself sees something odd. That, the you, that you don't see. Out. Yeah. And it's like, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Look at me. Yeah. And you click on, you see, okay, call back the past history for three years. Yeah. And you see the seasonal influenzas and this type of thing. But this thing is like, a, hey, something going... Sir, I think we need to send an investigation team 
and they're on the plane that night going in to see what what's going on here. I mean, I do that for my own podcast. I have an Excel spreadsheet that's like 1,200 days long. I got every yeah. BitChute, Odyssey, CloudHub, on Rumble, Spotify. Yeah. Then I got the social media. I got followers, subscribers, view times, and so when I do see something interesting, I can go, ooh, ooh, do that episode again. That's getting views. But then I can also go, what was this doing in February 2021? And I can actually look back and go, oh, there's a trend. Yeah. I do that. If I can yeah. do it. <laughs> We've needed it for years. And, you know, you get contractors in and they just take your money. Mm. We needed this. We were working on this before 2000 at SAIC. Uh, defense con they've mm -hmm. changed the name of it now yeah. and everything. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, very enjoyable couple years there. And uh, trying to push this stuff forward. And uh, if, if, you know, their job is to make money, but they'll go along if they can see they can make some bucks. Sure. And they've got some really smart people down there. Yeah. So, yeah. Get a good project manager, and you could have this thing up and running fairly quickly. You need a ruthless project manager. It's not a fair to fire people, but yeah, you can you can get something like this going, and we need it tomorrow. Well, we needed it yesterday. The third thing we need this testing with the PCR testing. Polymerase chain reaction, the rapid test that mm -hmm. they used to do the nasal swabs for, never did work. There was a race between a European group and the CDC, and they simply used the published data that the Chinese had given us on the sequence. They never did give us a live sample, and. Anyway, we got our own through our own patients sequencing them, but they all rushed out to do this PCR test and it was junk. The recipe was junk. And how the PCR tests work is that you take the swab and you put it in buffer and you extract the RNA out of it. And, um, you have a primer that's made by a machine, it's an artificial sequence of nucleus. And you mix these all together, and then you heat and cool it, heat and cool it. And when you heat it, it's going really great, and it's replicating and everything, but those strands are all locked together. So you keep heating it until they dissociate, cool it down, and then you repeat it. And you're amplifying this thing billions and billions. It's like amplifying one drop of water in a million-gallon swimming pool. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Fantastically sensitive. Sure. But you got to know how many times to do the heat and cool cycle. Or you start replicating the primer. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, of course, it's fluorescent, so you can read it quickly. And uh, you're getting false positives. Like... Your control, your saline control is positive. And this is what's happening. They were getting false positives everywhere. And they were running at, we call it a CT, a cycle threshold. And they were running it at 40. And um, 
the dust off the floor will turn positive at 40. Yeah. It's inaccurate. Yeah. And then that gave rise, oh, well, they're not showing any symptoms, but they're PCR positive. <gasps> they have asymptomatic, they're spreading it, they're super spreaders. Oh, the world is falling. We need lockdowns, we need lockdowns. That's exactly what happened. So they bring out these rapid flow antigen test kits for to see if you've got antibodies to the COVID virus. Well, it takes you at least five to seven days to start showing antibodies to the COVID virus because that's not your primary method for defense. Your primary method for defense against a virus is called cell-mediated immunity. So here I've got a cell, yeah? And it gets infected and it's making viruses and it's churning out daughter viruses. Here I've got a cell called a lymphocyte and it, it carries instructions to know if it touches you, you better have the recognition code, mm. the HLA antigens. It'll come along and it'll check you out and, oh, you're okay. If you're viral infected, it comes along and touches you and like, no, mm. no. And it calls all its friends and it beats you to death and punches holes through your cell membrane. Yeah. And then it calls even more of its kind. I found something and now you've got all these lymphocytes running around beating the shit out of your tissue. Sorry to swear. Excuse me. I don't care, dude. Beating the crap out of your tissue killing some normal cells as well. Yeah. But you lock that infection down and it keeps you alive long enough for another type of cell called a B cell to start making antibodies. So the T cell, which is like the one that beats the crap out of everybody, that's like Delta Force. Yeah. Okay. They just come in and shoot everyone in the room. Yeah. Let God sort them out. Yeah. And then the B cell making these very specific antibodies are like the snipers that get the vi actual viral particles and clear it from your bloodstream and tissues. Mm. So it's a two part immune system, T cells and B cells. And in a viral infection, your predominant immunological defense or innate immunity are the cytotoxic T cells that the Delta force that beats everything half to death. The B cells are just a refinement. Hmm. Okay. We'll come in and we'll take out and we'll clear all this virus Get out the of stragglers, here. Stragglers. Yeah. yeah. But it takes a week for the B cells. T cells start right away. Or within a day or so. Yeah. But it's a real race to where the virus kills you or the T cells get it under control and allow the B cells to work. So bringing out these cheap lateral flow assays, uh, most of them made in China with poor reagents, poor atoms. So we had a one of Peter's buddies. I really like this guy. And you wouldn't expect it, but he's like a black belt in Aikido and stuff. Um, I really liked him. Yeah. And he caught COVID and survived. And um, so we brought him into the office two weeks later and jabbed his finger. And, you know, yeah. 
if we're going to buy these things, I want to see some and I want to, you know, because they're not being tested. And negative. <laughs> CR positive, all classical signs. He had COVID, antibody negative after two weeks. Uh, the, the, these tests are rubbish. And, you know, I'm kind of new to the place and you kind of behave. Mm -hmm. uh, the awesomeness of, and, you know, looming huge sense of responsibility. You actually behave yourself. Well, you rise, you rise to the occasion of the, of the, yeah. of the awesomeness of the, yeah. And Peter's gone on, he's busy and everything. And, you know, I keep telling Joanna, like, dude, I, this is nonsense. You know, like, I'm going to phone it. I'm going to phone Steve Hahn. And uh, that's was the commissioner of the FDA. And I'm like, nobody. Yeah. 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 Um, and we're talking about it. I said, well, yeah, I'll probably get yelled at. Um, by the way, I'm pulling. That's up, okay. I'll be yelled at. Sorry, I'm yeah. pulling up your. I'm pulling up the the chapter you sent me right now. I just wanted to glance at. It. Sorry, keep talking. So, um, yeah, I've been yelled at a lot. So I get a hold of Shaw, Doctor Shaw. He's radiotherapist, but somehow he's in charge of like that sort of stuff. And I said, you know, these tests are rubbish. It's junk. Community mayors are spending thousands of dollars on this crap, trying to screen their employees and their nursing homes for something that's not going to turn positive for a week, even though you're infectious. I said, dude, you gotta, you need these capture antigen things where you're not looking for antibodies. You're actually looking for the virus. So they're expensive. But the antibody is what's on the membrane, the antibody specific for the COVID virus. So patient sample, mix it up, put the whole virus is coming through. And if it latches one of them, another antibody comes through and it turns color. You get like the pregnancy test kit. Mm. The first one of these I saw, we, 2021, we had to go to Rome to speak to the Italian Senate. And um, I'm not vaccinated. I don't have a card. <laughs> Neither did Dr. Malone. <laughs> he didn't have a card. So, you know, no, you can't come in. The, uh, so we're raising hell. So they go in and take us to see the uh, the Senate doctor. And he's got these little rapid flow candy, rips it open. And I'm, I'm reading this thing. Antigen test kit. Not antibody. Antigen. The protein. Mm. on the, the It's testing for spike protein. And it's accurate. And it's as accurate as the PCR test would have been if you ran it at a CT of like 30. Hmm. But before I left, I had to get a test. And they still ran They were still running it at 40. The CDC never put the word out. You know, you got to run it at 30 or... You, it's just a shambles from the word go, mate. Honestly, I've never seen such incompetence anywhere in my life. Um, 
It's like Al Bundy was running everything. You know? Just a clusterfuck. Have you seen the badge? No. Oh, yeah. I've got a pin, a lapel pin. Yeah. COVID-19, that's what it says underneath it. Because that's what it was. Left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. Um, and I mean, Shaw, Dr. Shaw, he's going, well, uh, well, what sensitivity should it have? Why are you asking me? You're the one with all the scientists and labs. I said, let's use common sense. Don't you think it should just be as accurate as a pregnancy test kit? Yeah. Or you're going to have some college girl jumping off the top of the dorm building because she's got a false positive test? Yeah. Don't you think? So they brought in uh, Dr. Sharpless, Dr. Smartless. I I, I can't remember the, the guy's name. Highly qualified from uh, National Cancer Institute. An odd last name like that. Yeah. And he started testing, his people started testing all these things. Where was the FDA? They're supposed to be testing things. Why are you handing it off to NCI? Where are your laboratories? Are you in that bad of shape? They used to do, although they're supposed to do this. Test the drugs that come into the market. Test the medical devices. You know, issue authorization. Yes, FDA approved. This whole thing was just it's unbelievable. It's like a third world country. You would expect this thing. You can handle it there and work around it. But at this level in the United States, an FDA in that bad of shape. And a CDC. I know. Let's get a new CDC director in there. That may be very good, but what? Over the last few years, she's received $800,000 in funding from Pfizer. Maybe, uh, and I assume she is quite ethical. Sure. But you don't know. I assume Janet Woodcock was quite ethical. I don't, it doesn't look like it to me. Yeah. So... Uh, the commissioner of the FDA, Stephen Hahn, and there's no law for prohibiting this, but six months after the uh, Trump administration was over, uh, he joined the venture capital firm that funded the Moderna vaccine as their senior medical advisor. <laughs> but it could just be a coincidence. Sure. And Gottlieb did the same thing under Obama. He, he, I think he joined Pfizer. Mm -hmm. And uh, Han joined the venture capitalist firm. And Gottlieb still doesn't think hydroxychloroquine works. So there you go. Why would he? He's being paid good money to say it doesn't. So this is kind of like, so the last thing we need, why we were talking about PCRs and everything else. Mm -hmm. I need a little handheld tester, like a breathalyzer about this size. Sure. 
and I can stick on a little disposable nozzle, like, you know, the drunk driving thing. Yeah. All right, I want you to blow in this. I got a red light. Something's going on in your airway. We didn't have, we tried. Dami, we, we literally tried. We were so close. Nat, the, I think it was Cincinnati, uh, some researchers in Ohio. And they come up with this breadboard model. You see when your upper airway is infected, it gives off signals that it's in distress. You know, we were talking Viagra and, and, and nitric, uh, yeah. NO, nitric oxide. It's a, it's a signaling mechanism. Mm -hmm. You give off nitric oxide in your upper airway. You give off two or three volatile compounds that evaporate into the air, and it tells the rest of your airway, look, I'm really having trouble down here. I'm in trouble. Yeah, I'm in yeah. trouble. And we can measure these with these breathalyzers. We didn't have the technology then. We'd phone the people, the scientists that developed it in Ohio. We talked to them, but it wasn't ready yet. It wasn't refined. They were using nano wires. It was really cheap to make. They were making their own sensors. NASA got involved and the technology just wasn't there yet. But guess what? There's been breakthroughs. And I think the technology is there now. Come on, guys, make me a little handheld thing. Even better, make me something this size that I can put on a keychain mm. that I can test myself or test my kids. You know what I mean? There's a desperate need for it. It won't tell me what virus. Sure, but it'll just say something's up. But in the midst of a pandemic, and I'm getting a red light, common things occur commonly, don't they? Yeah. And I've got a temperature, and I'm can, I have all the signs like of COVID, early COVID. Chances are. And if I've got a safe drug right here, or two or three of them, and okay, you're going to stay at home, I want to treat your whole family. Yeah. Desperate need for this. Do you know the breakthrough that would be for pandemic management? And I think the technology is now to the point where this can be done. Is anybody working on it? I mean, there's got to be a financial incentive. I mean... Yeah, there's a financial incentive. I know, that's what I'm saying. So, if we had a decent COVID-19 task force, this is needs to be driven. Hmm. So we've kind of talked about the four things. The 24-7 hospital capacity monitoring system. The NORAD particularly the ICUs. And NORAD works because it's regularly tested. 
simulated exercise. They don't know if it's real or not. And the testing goes all the way down to the operational thing. Like the horn goes off in the silos and the guys are getting the keys out and, you know, copying down the action messaging. You've seen it on yeah. TV. And, you know, it's a dummy key. That whole system is tested. Yeah. The warning, the verification, and the emergency war order. Spontaneously tested. That's what we really need is a pandemic defense agency mm -hmm. where, yeah, 24-7, yeah. guys are doing data mining. And we know the system works. Veritech had it working. Venture Capital, they picked up the H1N1 outbreak of influenza in Mexico in a tiny little village that was next to this huge million pig farm days before the CDC even had a clue. These are the events where, okay, exploitation team, I want you down in this little village, see what's going on. And they're down there. Verify, woo, we got something, bringing samples back, or even better, having these little portable chip labs with them. Whoa, you know, we got, you can sequence now, the little sequencer is only about that big, these ion probe things. You could design a suitcase sequencer. You got to keep the reagents super cold, but I'm sure there's a way around that. But verification, I've got a signal. Missile launch. You know, the satellites picked yeah. up. I need verification, ground radars, all this stuff. Verify, so you send your teams there. Okay, done. You need three types of teams. You need teams that can go into countries that we're friendly with. You need teams that can go into combat areas. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of these emerging infectious diseases occur in what are called high biodiversity at-risk areas. I mean, 80 populations are ex going, overriding the jungle, it's being chopped down, the whole ecology is disturbed. And the viruses are jumping into humans. Places in Indonesia, Borneo, uh, parts of Africa, these types of places. Uh, Oceania. So this is funny enough about where 98% of the guerrilla wars, low-intensity conflicts have occurred over the last 50 years. So I really what I need is like a Green Beret team that can go in there, and if they have to, they can walk out with samples. Hmm. Or their medics can teach the locals how to bring this village epidemic under control. That's one thing I thought early on when this pandemic was happening. I kind of said it in jest, but I was half serious. I mean, I wonder if this whole thing leads to a, a, a Delta Force kind of pandemic subunit, where it's you go in there and, for better or worse, you're walking out with samples. That's what I'm pushing with people I know. In fact, right after the book came out, um, Don and I were in the Pentagon. Mm-hmm talking to like a very high level person in Northcom. Yeah. 
about just such a thing. Yeah, I mean. And I'm still talking about it. I mean, it's it's you, you, you kind of get into some murky water, but I mean, you go in there and I mean, if it's a military operation, you might if you have to shoot someone. But I mean, at a certain point, you do got to look at well, what did the pandemic do? What did it kill around the world? Roughly, what, six, seven million cost 50 trillion dollars Seven million. at a certain point. I mean, when do you when do you wave the wand and exactly. go, send it send in Delta? Well, we do it for less. We do it for less. That's the other point. Is like, dude, we've not doesn't make it good. We've droned weddings because there's one Taliban guy there. So, and then you already set your threshold. And then we've got the countries that are unfriendly to the U.S. Yeah, like China. Yeah, we had U.S. personnel over. Yeah, at the State Department, they were doing the influenza studies. But they weren't mandated to do any of this, and they weren't trained to do sneaky-beaky stuff. Oh, All you need is a swab from a patient with the symptoms. I wonder if That's you could do something. In the Cold War, we had these things. I think the U-2. It was actually it was a really weird program. I don't think it lasted that long. But the U-2, I think it was them. But they well, got actually, shot down. Well, yeah, no, those things sucked, and they even painting them black made them too heavy, which is that's an actual fact. You got shot down. Yeah, but we had these little like spears that one, some plane would drop, and they would stick into the ground, and they were actually oh, like uh, radiation to ground sensors, and they would and they were bad because you had to go retrieve them, or the government, the other government, would find them. But I mean, you wonder if you could do some hypersensitive well, thing. There's actually, the other day, a study came out that showed um, humans secrete DNA in the air. Oh, yeah, no. With a strong enough instrument, you could find any residue of anything. You could drop it in a sewage plant. Yeah. I mean, we have the NSA Look, Special Collection. We've got service. some of the best brains in the world here. Uh, there's... Or you could have dual-purpose people. Yes, mm. you're a businessman. Yes, you're doing business in China. Uh, but you went on this course. Yeah. I mean, we have the and, NSA Special Collection sh- Service, the SCS. Super classified. I cannot get anybody on here in this podcast. I've tried. I'm sorry. That's the first I've heard of it. The Special Collection Service, uh, the SCS? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I mean the first the, I've heard of well, it. Well, I'm on another list, but... It is for the stuff that the NSA cannot get through satellites, through, you yeah. know, Elon sniffing, through everything. It's the shit where it's in a skiff and you need someone who also does business in China to maybe leave something under their hotel table where it's the size of a thumb and it picks up. It's the it's basically NSA's yeah. Delta Force. You go put the okay. e, the, the signal intelligence, the signal. No, we're not even going to talk about this. Well, no, but what I'm saying is, is there, some, there should be. Have something that there picks, should be a way to do it. Have something that have something that is your breathalyzer. It, it picks yeah. up, it picks up coronavirus spike protein remnants in the air. Do that we shit. Need, we need something like this. Probably. Yeah, I'm on another list, but you know whatever. We're all on lists. I'm on all of them. I'm genuinely on all of them. I collect them like coins. I was for a while. <laughs> no, no, I know. I I know. I know for everyone thinks it's like a meme. I know for a fact. 
I know for a fact I'm on a list. I mean, I'll leave it at that legally. But like, we have so, we have the capability to do it. Those the so now you're seeing the whole what we need to do is first of all we need more weapons. So let's start this mass screening process. I don't know how much it's going to cost. It's going to cost a lot. But it's how much does a nuclear missile, Miniman 3, what's that cost? Well, it probably costs less than the cost of a pandemic. Well, anything is going to cost less than the cost of a pandemic. Well, it, there you go. Okay. So let's start the screening program. National antiviral, I don't know, come up with a clever name. Even come up with a little patch. Everybody likes it. Yeah, everybody wants a patch. Yeah, Velcro. Yeah. Let's start working on this breathalyzer. I just need an accurate, volatile, organic compound, SOS compounds that are being released. And the, the, the nice thing about this is the virus, viral infection of the lower airway, tends to release different volatile chemicals than a bacterial infection of the airway. Oh, okay. Ho, ho. I wonder if... So, yeah, so let's get this viral thing going. Let's start thinking about, like my little hometown and its its civil defense office, and collecting and training hospital volunteers yeah. for a time of emergency. And why don't we put that place in Emmitsville that FEMA has? They, they bought a whole college campus. And it's really a nice thing. Why don't we start offering in-house courses for city managers, for city emergency managers? They're free. Training these people up leadership of our 120 largest cities on how this whole thing is supposed to go down and then having a traveling show. We did this in 98, 99. It was called the Domestic Preparedness Program where we were going around to the 120 largest cities to the hospitals. And they were all worried about BW back then, biological warfare. We were teaching the agents and how you recognize and how you protect yourself and what type of care would be needed and what type of antibiotics and here's what the disease looks like and blah, blah, blah for like the top three or four threat agents and bacterial virus and rickettsial. So traveling show, going to the little hospitals, run through them. And what you're doing, Tommy, you know, what works for San Juan, Puerto Rico, isn't going to work for Chicago, isn't going to work for Ocala, Florida, isn't going to work for, sure, you know what I mean, some rural place in Wisconsin. Let's look at your resources. And let's work with what you have. Hmm. So, is it reasonable for you to stockpile everything? No, because everything has an expiry date. But we can put you on this list 
that you've got nothing, you need everything. And that goes in our daily monitoring. Yeah. I can call up what resources you have right then and there. One tap of a key. Yeah. And I can see you're going to be in real trouble. Yeah. Within seconds. And you got four or five people doing this for a living. That's their job. Well, how many people do you think we have watching radar screens constantly? (laughs) Yeah. It's a system. Yeah. And yeah, you t- you're working shifts. And just every now and then, we'll just throw a training program in and run it all the way to having the team fly there. Hmm. When they get to the hospital, we'll have our people there. And okay, here's your simulated thing. Here's the sample. Here's that sample. Okay, show me what you're going to do. What advice are you going to get? I'm the city manager. What advice are you... Because they're going to try to get this thing under control quick. What are you going to ask CDC for? We're not saying shutting CDC down. They do they do a very, very good job in a lot of things, even though they're screwed up. Influenza, they, they're, they're really good at this. Their surveillance system is functional. It just takes too long. Yeah. But what CDC wasn't authorized to do that they did and this came out of America's first legal. The doctors that were speaking out against the vaccine and the fact the right studies weren't done, the vaccine wasn't effective and it certainly wasn't safe. And it wasn't fully tested, as we can see. Did it work? Look over the last two years. Is that The population's 96% antibodies. Okay, 26% came from people that weren't vaccinated, that developed natural immunity. About 40% had natural immunity and they got the shot, which the shot, they're trying to take credit for the shot giving that. And uh, 26% uh, were just vaccinated. Well, to me, that says the shot was only 26% effective. Um, the CDC coerced the um, Census Bureau to do extreme data mining of social media. So all your little tweets and your Facebooks and your Instagrams were 24-7 scanned by computer to pick out keywords. Mm. vaccine, ineffective, this or that. And if you were flagged, they had a special thing at uh, Twitter. Or it was either Twitter or Facebook. Actually, hired personnel to confirm and ban that, deplatform that person. I know. I was so none of us, none of us could get any word out of what was happening. Well, when you have a social media thing like that, it's considered a public square. Mm. And the, the rules say that you must provide both sides to a story. 
to have a federal agency interfere with freedom of speech by learned, I mean, these aren't kooks off the street, okay? Pete McCulloch is one of the most, I think he is the most published cardiologist for research papers in the United States, if not the world. Yeah. I wouldn't call him a kook off the street. And you threw him off and ridiculed him. That's one of the things they like to do is demean you mm. and ridicule you publicly so no one will listen to you. And um, fired by his own. He served Baylor University for years. And they told him to shut up and he wouldn't. They fired him. Pursued him. They tried something. So a lot of people have sacrificed careers here to get the truth out. And it's now starting to come out. But for the government, to, to, one of the premises is that you must always be truthful when you're dealing with a pandemic. You can lie about war. You lie what you want. They lie all the time. Sure. When it comes to a pandemic and people are desperate and know that they could become infected, you tell one little lie and the whole your trust happens. is gone completely. Yeah. And then they say, oh, yeah, take this, you know. I ain't taking anything. So we've got to rebuild that trust. We have to. There is none now. If I don't trust them, I'll read something. Oh, it's New England Journal of Medicine. They're rubbish. And usually you go back and read the article and it is rubbish. It never should have been published. Oh, it's published by the CDC. I know what that's going to say. Oh, yeah, this is highly effective. You read it. Oh, yeah, it's highly effective. Yeah. Yeah. Why bother? Yeah. The Lancet. The great, the Lancet. Fraudulent data. Quietly withdrawn. Hmm. But it was enough to cause Honda to ban hydroxychloroquine. And he says, well, doctors can write a prescription for hydroxychloroquine anytime they want. Peter's saying, have you tried to write a script for it lately? No, they can't. Now you've got pharmacists practicing medicine, and that went on. What do you have? Well, you just broke HEPA. They don't have to tell you what they have. But if you don't say lupus and say COVID, they're not going to fill your script. It's against federal law. You see all the things that these laws aren't there just for convenience. And that's what they've treated this whole thing. The things that we've held dear. Peer-reviewed accuracy of medical literature. Uh, tested, exhaustively tested vaccines that do something. Mm -hmm. At least 50% improvement. Um, all these things just got thrown in a big trash can. And the drug companies ran this response. Vaccinating children. I don't know. Maybe a couple have died. But vaccinating children, like five years old, vaccinating five-month-old babies that are under zero risk for this anyway, 
somebody that's going to put amyloid protein in their little brains or damage their hearts. You know, five-year-old myocarditis, seven-year-old. These aren't, the CDC calls it, well, minor myocarditis. No, they're scarring in the heart. There'll be some conduction defects. You're going to need that little bit of scarring as you grow older and scar your heart from other things. We're going to have a complete and utter pandemic of atrial fibrillation in 20 years time. We're going to have a complete and utter pandemic of amyloid induced dementia. Alzheimer's. The protein's getting in the brain from the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. This is the frustrations of working in the White House. You got good guys and you have bad guys. And you can't argue with the bad guys. You can't show them reason. They don't follow the science, as one of them is so fond of saying. He didn't follow the science from day one. He followed the checkbook. Yeah. Or his ego. I don't know which is worse. Never trust somebody from Brooklyn that can't throw a baseball. <laughs> That's Hatfield rule number one. Don't trust a skinny chef. Don't trust a skinny chef. Tommy, what, what's happened is before it's it's incredible. It's incredible. I think the the only thing to do with what has happened is to document it and to learn from it. It's no, a, we've documented it in the book, step by step. When is the in the in the we gotta we gotta wrap this one up in a minute. What when is the new book coming out? If the editor has it, it's up to them. Well you gotta go Hopefully with... in a couple of weeks. We don't even have a name for it yet. I wanted the fight for hydroxychloroquine, but the book does more than that. It goes into the fight for everything. Just get a real, real and then eye how, grabber. and then how we fix it. Just get a real eye grabber. Say Fauci's a demon. I don't know. I don't know. I, if I was good in advertising, that's what I'd do. Just, I'll start slandering him. I don't care. <laughs> I'll start. I'll start making up false claims. The um. They wouldn't let me put my co-worker's name on the book because, you know, she didn't write anything for him. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I name her throughout the book and I put her name under mine at the end. Beautiful. Last chapter. Beautiful. She was a, um, and Garrett, and my outside friends that were doing all the research papers and everything, I tell you, that and a strange sense of humor is the only thing that kept us sane. It's the only thing that can keep you sane. 
Yeah. Humor is uh, is our brain's natural dissociative. Yeah. It lets us step away from something. I don't know how Peter does it because he has no sense of humor. (laughs) (laughs) Totally focused, man. Yeah. No time for nonsense. And I was very embarrassed by some Americans. They would come into the office with all this snake oil. And they, they didn't know who I was. I was just like in on the meeting. And I would say nothing. And they would... Oh, dressed to the T's and the girls presenting the slides and this, oh yeah, and they only need like $5 million and they can control cytokine storm and everything and we let them go. And Peter will look over at me and like, just give a slight nod. So I'll get up and ask like, okay, you know, we have a severe supply chain shortage of everything. Are these reagents for this test, do they have to be kept at minus 70? And how long can I store them for? And it's just like you hit them between the eyes with the two before. Well, well, they'll they'll store long enough. And I said, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I think I've heard all I need to. Yeah. And, And they don't come back. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I was very embarrassed by that type of behavior. Yeah. Trying to capitalize... Well, that will always exist. You unfortunately... Uh I said that will always exist. You unfortunately had to come face-to-face with it, but it'll it'll always be there. It was embarrassing for me. I hope it was embarrassing for them. Yeah. You know, and then you compare that to the behavior of the people in the outside office... Uh, there, there's, there's, there's no comparison. You know, twenty-seven-year-olds busting their rear ends and doing intelligent, good things with good ideas and totally patriotic. With this lot trying to make some money, this test never was going to work anyway. Trying their luck. Unbelievable. Anyway, so we talked about the four things that need to be done right away. I hope I made some sense. Yeah, you did. And uh, these are things we can start right now. But I don't think anyone's doing it. So, yeah, I don't know. If you can't take a joke, you shouldn't have joined. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. That was a brilliant talk, Dr. Hatful. I love having you on, man. You're you're a cool fucking guy to talk to. I sit here and just, I nod. I try to keep up. I, sometimes I just feel like a, a seal. I'm just clapping. Well, no, Tommy, you're easy to talk to, and you ask the right questions. Well, thank you, sir. You do um, your homework. I have to. It's, I, I look forward to these. We always have a chuckle or two. Hell yeah, man. That's how I try to make it, dude. It's like if we're not having fun, the hell are we doing? I know. What's the point of it? You know, is it? There's no gun in my head. If I'm not having fun, we're not smiling, we're not laughing. The fuck are we doing this for? It's a bad date. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I swore a little bit. Oh no, shut up. You will shut your mouth. I always, you, it, you can say whatever the fuck you want. Fuck shit, piss tits, whatever you want. You know. Now, granted, you'll lose a lot of credibility with some people, but you know. I, I have. 
I have one story to end this with. All right. On that note. Yeah. And Thanksgiving was a big time in our house. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, we had the turkey. Mom couldn't cook worth crap. It was cardboard. Yeah. But, you know, like the Griswolds, you cut into it and the steam comes out and it's cardboard. But she tried and the family were there. A big, long table. And um, I had an Aunt Fanny. It was my uh, mother's aunt. Mm -hmm. She was really old and she couldn't hear very well. And I had leave and I was home from the army. And you know, hair go cut and everything. And you swear a lot in the, any military. You tend to. Mm -hmm. And um, it just becomes too much of a second nature. Yeah. And the meeting's going and everyone, you know, the chatter around the table and everyone's having a good time. A little Astus Fumante, yeah. You know, like the sparkly wine. Dad loved that. And uh, Aunt Fanny looks over at me and says, Stephen, can I pass you anything? I said, ah, uh, oh, I'll have some of those goddamn potatoes. And like the whole table goes quiet. And like everyone's looking and like and like my face I can feel it turning red and I, and I just excuse myself and went to what was once my former room. And my dad my dad comes in. He says, Stephen, look, we know. You know you're in the army yeah. with a rough group. Yeah. Just come back and apologize and everything's fine. Yeah. So I I came back and sat down and Everyone's staring at me, and I said, look, I'm really sorry if I fucked up. <laughs> True story. <laughs> and I'm sorry. I, again, I apologize for swearing. <laughs> I, that's that's good. That was a genuine laugh. That wasn't a, I wasn't giving you a polite laugh. That's funny. <laughs> I'm sorry if I fucked up. I, nah, man. It's man. My logic is this: is I, I I try to talk on the podcast in a manner that most people talk like. If I'm gonna yeah. sit here and I'm not, I'm gonna say junk and duty. I mean, come on. We're you're, you're we're, 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 we're we're grown men. That's, it's, un, that's uninspiring too. It's also unrealistic, and it's an insult to people's intelligence to pretend like as soon as I turn off this camera, I'm not gonna go fuck. It's how yeah. we talk, and it's, you know, and uh, if it's, I'll always let the guests kind of make the first step, and if they don't want to use language, I won't use language out of respect for them, but I mean, like... Listen, I did pretty good, okay? You did very good, but it's There's just... There's only one or two F-bombs there. You, you did very good, but my logic is, like, who are we kidding? You know, what, 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 what pretend we don't talk I, like this? I've got a friend named Joff, okay? Yeah. I, I mean, I love this guy like a brother. And he works in EMS. In fact, he's pretty high up. Yeah. Like nationally. Yeah. And uh, Reed is another doctor. And Reed's ex-Navy. And he swears anyway. Yeah. Anyway, I get dropped down. And we. I'm speaking at this group that I'm a board member of. And it's really a lot of elderly people. 
doctors, scientists, whatever, very staid. And uh, Joff comes down, and he can't help himself because he gives so many lectures, you know, like to really tough people, like first responders and this type of thing. And we're talking gunshot wounds and school shootings and how you develop a task force to, to deal with this when you need it and how you practice and everything. And boy, he's letting, he's letting them go left and right. Yeah. Bombs. And he doesn't even realize it. And I'm looking around the audience. Again, those emojis with the, the big, big eyes. brown eyes. Yeah. Bless his heart. It's called sincerity. Well, he's, but he's so emotional because he's. Well, that's what I tell people. He was a first responder for years. He's seen the horrors of this crap. Well, that's what I tell um, Yeah, it's it's how I talk and it's I, it's how I express emotion and it's how I. It's yeah. just, it's it's the most natural. To me, it's like if I don't swear, I have to actively think about not swearing, and therefore I am not in a a flowing. I speak English. I tried to learn German in college. If you have a yeah. second language, you have to think about it versus just talking. If I have to think about not swearing, you're not getting the pure channel of my thoughts. You're getting me. I'm pretending to be this way because I'm at dinner with in-laws or something. It's, you're not getting the real me. And I figure on the podcast, you want the real thing. So, you know, fuck off. So this group that I was speaking, so like last year we were in Las Vegas and it was a good turnout. And my buddy Meatloaf, one of the guys that like, I mean, we're like best friends. Yeah. And uh, he was one of the guys supplying me with the latest research and papers and control room type stuff. And um, we joke a lot. We both work late at night and we end up joking and being silly. And uh, the monkeypox thing had come out. And he bet me $5.00. But I wouldn't call it schlong COVID. Schlong COVID. <laughs> and I did. And one person laughed, and I looked at the audience, and they're all just staring at me like. <laughs> schlong COVID. And he still hasn't paid me the $5. Well, I haven't seen him, but I, I'm charging entrance. You, you call it Pride Box. <laughs> if I haven't pissed off everyone watching this show already. <laughs> well, Dr. Hatfield, hey, let's let's wrap this one up. All right. Um guys in the description you can go find the book Three Seconds Till Midnight and um shoot me a text with that uh the the, the lawyer friend and uh also yeah, just just follow up with me when uh when the book's back and we'll knock yeah. out another one. Well do. Dr. Hatfield, it's always a it's always a blessing to talk to you, man. It's an honor to know you, and I love having you on here. Tommy, I always feel better after talking to you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You're very good at what you do. Thank you, sir. That 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 genuinely you're, means a lot. You'd be a good CIA interrogator. Well, if I don't get money on this podcast, I will go to the CIA and say, "You want this thing to be a front? What do you need? I'll be a cutout for you." I don't, <laughs> that's that's my back. No. No, when you got them wired into the chair. Yeah. 
Because you'd be calm and just press the button. I'd, I'd, I'd fuck with them. I'd be like, I'm helping you. You're torturing me by making me torture you. No, I'd, I'd be a really good psychopath down at Guantanamo. <laughs> Oh well, I'll take on it. That note. On that note, go look up the NSA Special Collection Service. It's pretty good. I'm, I'm not even going to go there. Uh, no, you it's, probably it's on a list if you Google it. No, it's not. It's in a 20 year old book called uh, "Shadow Factory" by James Bamford. It came out in 2002. If that's putting us on a list, then just whatever. The book's been out for 21 years. Did he write know. the one on? He wrote that first one, didn't he? Puzzle Palace. Um... That's I've got it somewhere. Yeah, Bamford. Yeah, yeah I've got it. Yeah, they're kind of repetitive. But I think Shadow Factory is his best. Somewhere on the bookshelves. I'll, yeah. I'll read that tonight. It really is. It's, it's a cool thing. I've, I've tried to get people on about it, and, you know, they won't respond to me emails, but, you know, whatever. I've asked some Delta Force guys, and they deny knowing it exists, which I took as stop asking questions. So, you know. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't. Uh, I've learned when to shut up talking to people. There's so many questions. Yeah, but I. What do you think of this UFO thing? I, you saw I, it? Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, I think I'm just I've been so tainted by COVID that whenever I see something now, I'm like, what am I going to be thinking in three years? But why would they want to say that? Yeah, we have captured like that's what I mean, man. Is there I don't know what the psyop is, but it's a psyop. I can't figure out why it would be. If we could go back to us in June 2020 and be like, this is what's happening with COVID, we'd be like, oh, shit, you're right. So to me, I'm like, what are we thinking in June 2026? Yeah. Future us are saying, don't fall for it. It's bullshit. That's kind of where my mind is. Yeah. We're in the middle of a war and we're talking about what would be the most classified thing in human history. Shut up. I don't believe it. I don't believe it for a second. Maybe it's to scare the Chinese. Yeah, maybe. Or we or we use some black black ops skunkworks technology to start bombing Beijing. We'll be like, it wasn't us. It was a little green man. I don't. We don't know anything about we their, it. We got their embassy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We'll do that. We'll be like, it was the UFOs. I didn't. I don't know. What that happened. was the first mission of the stealth bomber. Yeah, that was the uh, the yeah, the F one seventeen or the, no the B two bombed the one where. The B two yeah. bombed, or allegedly the F the F seventeen that was shot down. The uh, parts were kept there, and we bombed it by accident. It was the Chinese embassy. We yeah, didn't know. And no, we didn't know. Wink, wink. Where they just so happened to be holding pieces of the F one seventeen. Wink, wink. Yeah, no, we dropped a bunker buster on that. Again, if you can't take a joke, you shouldn't have joined. Exactly. If you can't take a JDAM to the face, what are you even doing, Doctor Halfill? Let's wrap this one up, brother. Love having you on, man. Love chatting with you. Take care, everybody. We'll be in touch. Guys, thank you so much for watching. Peace. Recordings.